Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to the book of Psalms. We use these excursies episodes to dig a little deeper into something that we've encountered in a series that we just can't deal with adequately over the course of a single episode. We try pretty hard to stick to that 15 to 20 minute time frame. So sometimes you just have to stick a flag in something and come back to it later. And that's what we're trying to do here. In this excursus episode, I want to come back to the whole issue of imprecatory prayer. Over the course of this most recent series of episodes on the Psalms, we encountered two Psalms that are generally classified in this category, Psalm 79 and Psalm 83. In fact, the language in Psalm 83 is so strong that Psalm 83 was actually excised from the Roman Catholic Liturgy of the Hours. It was deemed to be psychologically stressful. And I suppose that's true. Some of the language is psychologically stressful. The psalmist prays and petitions God, do to them, do to our enemies as you did to Midian, as to Sisera and Jabin at the river Kishon, who were destroyed at Endor, who became dung for the ground, make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, let us take possession for ourselves of the pastors of God. Oh my God, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. As fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze, so may you pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. That is remarkable language. The Psalmist prays, defeat our enemies, God. Destroy our enemies, God. Make them like the dung on the ground. Consume them like a fire. Disperse them like a hurricane. Fill their faces with shame and let them perish in disgrace. That is psychologically stressful language. But is it wrong? That's really the issue. I'm not terribly concerned with whether a psalm disturbs me. Maybe I need to be disturbed. Maybe I'm too settled. Maybe I'm too safe, too secure, too identified with the sinful establishment. Maybe I need to take sides with God against evil. And if that disturbs me, then so be it. The question I'm interested in is this. Are these Psalms appropriate for Christian people? Because I'm a follower of Jesus. And Jesus said, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So clearly, as followers of Jesus, we are not allowed to return evil for evil. We are not allowed to meet sin with sin. We're not allowed to use power or force to address injustice. As individuals, as followers of Christ, that is not our calling. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. That is not to say that we close our eyes to injustice, and that is not to say that we become indifferent to wickedness and brutality in this world. 
Brothers and sisters, it's not wrong to feel aggrieved. It's not wrong to want to see wickedness punished. It is not wrong to want to see the arm of the oppressor broken or the teeth of the slanderer pulled. It is not wrong to want that. But we have to pursue that in a Christ-honoring way. And prayer is a big part of how we do that. In Revelation chapter 8, which is pretty deep into the New Testament, obviously, it says this, Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Close quote. So here we see the prayers of the saints being stored in a bowl. And when the bowl was full, it was brought to the Lord and it resulted in an outpouring of divine providential action upon the earth. Peals of thunder, flashes of lightning, earthquake and upheaval. The earth shook under the power of the prayers of God's people. That's what the text says. So prayer is not for nothing. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the mighty hand of God. That's what we're seeing there. So prayer is our method. That's what the New Testament is saying. It is not saying that we cannot desire vengeance. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 19 to 21 said, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So Paul says, we do good deeds while praying violent prayers. That's the Christian way. We can be pacifists, so to speak, because God clearly isn't. We can pursue good. We can turn the other cheek. We can feed our enemies and give water to those who hate us, all the while praying for the wrath and vengeance of God to fall upon the evildoer because we know it will. God sees, God cares, and God comes. Brothers and sisters, there are imprecatory prayers in the New Testament. More than that, there are imprecatory prayers in heaven Apparently, in Revelation 6, 9 to 11, the Apostle John has a vision. He says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been, closed quote. So John sees martyrs. He sees the souls of people slain for the word of God and for the testimony they had borne. He sees good men and women. He sees brothers and sisters in Christ who have been butchered just for being true to Jesus, just for preaching the gospel, just for refusing to bow the knee to Satan. He sees their souls hovering around the altar of the Lord. 
and he hears them praying. They're praying, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? That's an imprecatory prayer, brothers and sisters. That's Psalm 83. That's Psalm 139. That's Psalm 58. And that is being prayed in heaven. And they aren't being rebuked. They're being comforted and assured that their prayers will be answered in due time. Gordon Wenham argues in favor of our continuing to use these imprecatory prayers in the New Testament church. He says, to eliminate prayers that God would pour out his wrath on our enemies would reduce the biblical God to a spectator uninterested in this world, closed quote. Well, we can't have that. We mustn't have that. Wenham goes on to say that the Bible views history as a constant struggle between order and chaos life and death, and these psalms represent the psalmist taking sides with order, closed quote. And that's how I think they can and should be used in the church today. We can pray, Psalm 58, 6 to 7, as a Christian, Oh God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away when he aims his arrows. Let them be blunted. You tired of all the lies and all the slander and all the fake news and all the fraud that is undermining the cause of freedom and democracy and liberty and justice in the world today? Then pray that prayer. Pray for internet trolls to have their arrows blunted. Pray for God to tear out the fangs of every politician who would use hate and division to advance his own cause. You can pray that as a Christian. You can pray Psalm 83, 13. Oh, my God, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. Oh, God, scatter the plans of wicked men. When they conspire to do evil, Lord, thwart them and frustrate them at every turn. You can pray that prayer. You should pray that prayer. But before you do, or maybe as you do, just be sure to turn the force of that prayer upon yourself before you unleash it outwards upon the world. One him again is helpful here. He says, these psalms should prompt us to ask ourselves how far we are responsible for or at least involved in structures of injustice and oppression, closed quote. Oh God, pull my teeth if I use my mouth to spread slander and untruth. Oh God, scatter my plans if my will and purpose is contrary to the cause of justice and equity in the land. If you can't pray that, then you aren't on God's team. You're on your team, and you are attempting to recruit God to your selfish purpose, and that won't fly. So pray violent prayers, but let them roll over you first. Take sides against evil and injustice in this world, even if it means taking sides against yourself. Stand with God. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit, Psalm 34, 18. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, Psalm 147, 3. Oh, brothers and sisters, that's what you are praying for when you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are praying for King Jesus to come and take the side of the broken and crushed in spirit. You're asking him to root out and to cast out all sin and all causes of sin. And thanks be to God, Jesus says he will do it.
In Matthew 13, 40 to 43, Jesus says, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So he will do it. He will do it. When the bowls are filled with the prayers of the saints, when the prayers go up, the Lord comes down. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, will hide themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who can stand? So pray violent prayers and believe in those prayers. Because I'll tell you this, I think if we believed more in the power of prayer, then we might be tempted less to engage in violent protest. I understand where protest comes from. It comes from this place. It comes from a desire, a righteous desire, to take sides with God against injustice. But this is not the way. Physical violence, rioting, looting, killing. This is not the Jesus way. In Matthew 12, the apostle considers the incredible ministry of Jesus Christ, and he breaks into the story as the editor and compiler of the gospel. And he says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope, closed quote. That's how Matthew evaluated the ministry of Jesus Christ. He didn't quarrel or cry aloud in the streets. He was no brawler, but he wasn't weak. His voice could not be silenced. His light could not be snuffed out. He stood immovable against the forces of wickedness and evil. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You can only live that way if you believe in the power of the word and in the power of prayer. Do we? Maybe we move so quickly into violent protest because we no longer believe in the power of believing prayer. But Jesus said, truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. I want to take sides against evil. I want to press back against the dark. I want to wield the sword of the Spirit and unleash the whirlwind of imprecatory prayer until he brings justice to victory and until the Gentiles are brought to faith in his name. Even still, come, Lord Jesus. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to this special excursus episode of Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those over the website at www.intotheword.ca. 
course, you can connect with us on Facebook. We'd love for you to do that. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there. There are different ways to connect. We'd love to see you there. And I hope to see you again real soon right here for another episode and another series of Into the Word. Before.